Hello and welcome to the Black Business Psychology Network podcast. This podcast showcases the second part of a careers event that was held on Thursday the 18th of June 2020. This section features the question and answer portion of the event and features psychology graduates and professionals Michael Ndede, Taslim Tharani and Charlotte Apong. So we're going to start our Q&A now and I've got a series of questions here so thank you all for taking part but the first one I'm going to address is somebody asked about all of our panellists do have masters and it's probably because I was a bit selfish so I just asked people I already knew that had done the same masters as me but you don't need to have a masters I'm sh- I'm assuming to do pretty much any of these roles I think three out of two out of four people that spoke said they did apply to graduate programs and graduate programs are available for people that have done a degree so and some of them are open to people that have done any degree so the civil service they recruit a lot of different types of graduates there's so many different graduate roles that maybe in HR or things like that that's probably the most related to a psychology degree but not always marketing as well so I would say you don't need to have a master's but if you have an interest in an area of psychology and you have the headspace some access to money as well and maybe even a part-time job that can support you and give you a little bit of a breathing space I would recommend doing one but it's not a prerequisite for any of these careers I wouldn't say but obviously that might change when we ask people another question was our first question is somebody who has done so it's Aileen or Aileen I'm sorry if I've said your name wrong she's done a MSc in health psychology and she really has an interest in working for children and young adults but she's finding it difficult to find a role that isn't a dead-end role um, that will give her that fulfillment um, for working with young people I know someone that did a health psychology master's and she went into a therapy. So she did a course in a psychological wellbeing practitioner course, which is a funded course by the NHS. It's kind of like a training course that you do for one year funded by the NHS. And you can either do a low intensity that is for people with mild to medium mental health problems and you're attached to an NHS trust or you do a high intensity course. I think you can do that after the first one to do that and she's been doing that for years but um, health psychology in my experience you could either do that or go into more of a research role but I think you probably would prefer a bit more of a hands-on one so I would say a therapy role but if not um, has anyone else got any ideas out of any of the speakers for someone that's done a health psychology master's? So so I'm not too familiar actually with the health psychology master's program my sense is that with health psychology they generally tend to look at the adult population I might be wrong about that um but I but I actually think that especially since COVID-19 and it should have been much more before this but there's a big there's a much greater emphasis now on the impact of context and schools um and society on children's mental health and children's well-being and there's a big movement within the education sector on social emotional learning. Um, and one of I've got a colleague actually in the US who's written who's written four books now on social emotional learning, but she's coming from a psychological space. So she uses something called contextual behavioral science to inform um, to inform this. And she's now actually going out and training teachers and schools in how they can. Um, how get how they can organize their structures 
to um, to enable children to uh, or to promote children's um, health and well-being um, at school. So I'm not quite sure exactly what the routine would be, but I would say that there is a lot, um, a lot, a lot of really interesting stuff happening happening out there. So it depends if again you want to take a more traditional route um, and maybe go down like a um, a, a child um, therapy or psychotherapy or psychotherapy route, or whether you want to go a little bit um, on a different route. Um, and um, and look at social emotional learning as, as potentially potentially a way in um, a way in and I think it again depends on where you want to work so for example in my journey I knew that I didn't want to work with people in or with people in the clinical space I wanted to work with people in the non-clinical space although I do work with people who are mildly anxious depressed burnt out etc and I think it's the same for you and children um, you know do you want to be working with children in that clinical space or do you want to be working with children in a different in a different in a different space? The other area that you could potentially start to look into is the neurodiversity area, which is really growing as well. Um, so I know that um, I went to a conference and there was someone who spoke at the conference who who has now has a job at a school that is um, that's actually around diversity and inclusion, but specific. But but she does a lot of work in that kind of neurodiversity space and it's she's like a well-being it's like a well-being job in a school which is pretty awesome that I sounds so interesting yeah really interesting um yeah i think it's i think there's something really about looking outside of the box yeah. and and i would start with thinking about what is it that you want to be doing and then backtrack to see what the path is to get there um and yeah. if nobody is doing it um then it's figuring out how you can how you can make it happen for yourself definitely great advice Another question here from Joden, Joden Joseph. Um, for Michael, I'll start with Michael's question. How did you get involved in the support worker role in Belmarsh and what did it entail? <laughs> um, so with the Belmarsh role, I actually got it from a contact I made whilst, whilst I was volunteering with the Samaritans. Somebody there knew somebody who, was, um, who worked at Belmarsh as a counsellor. And I explained that I wanted to get some clinical experience, so they thought it would be a good idea. That's how I actually got the role at Belmarsh eventually. And what it entailed, so Belmarsh, they took, an, if I can remember correctly, like an integrated approach in um, helping the people that were there, the prisoners. And so they did different types of um, therapies and interventions. And I was my main responsibility was helping support the solution the solution based therapies i think that's what it was called at the time so solution focused therapy so that's about um getting the prisoners to understand the, the positives their strengths what they were good at and just facilitating conversation around that and from what i can remember that in itself was very challenging it wasn't um it wasn't always straightforward so yeah, that's, that was my main role. As I said, it was a support role. Thank you, Michael. Um, I have one question here for Taz. Um, where did you work as a management consultant? Um, so I'm, because of what I've said, I'm probably not going to disclose which organisation it was. Um, but um, um, I, can, I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to know about the role. I, I mean, what I would say as well is that... Um, there, there were there were so many things about that organization which led to me not being a good fit um so it's partly that um i don't think i like working for massive organizations because i i then i play such a small part um 
in the, in, in the project and there's significantly less autonomy and autonomy is something incredibly important to me, which is why I think I've gone for like a self-employed route. Um, the other thing is that I ended up in a project management role. And if anyone here knows much about personality, I'm high, high on extroversion, high on openness, middle to low on conscientiousness. Being in a project management role is like a complete nightmare for somebody like me. And even though I could do it and I could do it well, um, I wasn't able to, um, I wasn't able to uh, move into the consultancy. So this particular management consultancy at that time, I was working their employee engagement team. They separated out their project managers and their, con and their consultants. And even when I asked if I could, I just sit in on the consultant meetings, I was basically not allowed to because I was a project manager, not a consultant. And so on each project, you would have a project manager and a consultant. Um, and we would like work together on projects, but I was basically doing all the process and procedure and they were doing all the content stuff. And obviously I was interested in the content stuff. So there were lots of things um, about that as well as the culture and me just generally not fitting in um, that kind of led to me burning out very quickly. And, and there was definitely at that time, and I can't speak for whether it's the same now, and this is going back um, 10 years, that, um, that you're, uh, the junior person does the most work. So I was like the first one in, the last one out, working globally with clients. So. Uh, first thing in the morning, working with clients in the in the I don't know which region, east on the east east side, and then later in the day working with um, clients further to the west of us. Um, and so it was just it was just exhausting. Um, that does yeah. sound tiring. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that that was. And then also I don't just do one thing. So I was volunteering and doing a whole host of stuff outside of work as well. So. Yeah, I can see. And there's another question for you that it's a bit similar to, could you explain a bit more about your mindfulness training? Yeah. I'll ask that one. Yeah. yeah so, my, so I think what I probably haven't said is that my journey and everything is very slow and it's very up and down because I'm constantly managing my own stuff. Um, and uh, so my mindfulness journey actually started in 2004 when I was having my major depression episode. Um, and I, um, I first came across mindfulness when I was at the Priory North London as, as a, as a, just as a patient. Um, and I also, just through my religious practice, have had a meditation practice really throughout, throughout my life. And so when I got to do my master's, I came across acceptance of commitment therapy, which has a mindfulness-informed approach. And so I did my dissertation on ACT. And I also then started to embark in my mindfulness training and I did mine with Banger and I'm still in the middle of it. So, um, so basically, um, there are, there are th I would say three universities that, or three to four universities that offer um, really high quality mindfulness training and there's more than, there's more than that. But you want to look for places like Banger, Aberdeen, Exeter, Breathworks are also really good. If you're interested in schools, then there's Mindfulness for Schools who offers, uh, who offers training. Um, but I had, I, I mean, I'm biased, but I feel that I had one of the best mindfulness trainers um, in the UK. Her name was Cindy Cooper, and sadly she passed away in 2017. But um, so I'm part of the Banger mindfulness, mindfulness community, and I'm still on, still on my journey. So you can, um, you can either do like a master's, uh, or you can do like a more informal path, which they call the mindfulness teacher's pathway. So you can either do it in like a more modular approach, which is what I'm doing, or you can actually do a full-blown, a full-blown master's in it. Um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Thank you, Taz. Thank you very much for sharing. So I have another question and I'm, I'm going to direct it at 
Michael. And the question, I mean, it's for all of us, but again, for the purposes of time, and I'm going to ask Michael and then I might chip in myself, being from a minority background, has this in any way impacted on your professional development, Michael? I would say it has. So most of my professional career has been in the civil service. And there are a lot of ethnic minorities working in the civil service, but they're like disproportionately at lower grades. So the higher up you go in terms of um, leadership and grade, the lighter it becomes or the whiter it becomes. And the civil service are aware of this. Um, they got so many um, initiatives to help uh, get up the ladder. Personally, myself, I have managed to progress, but it's been very, very slow in comparison to, I would say, my white colleagues. And if anybody is interested, this was what my dissertation was around. It was around the organisational politics around diversity and inclusion in the civil service. I worked with a couple of organisations in gaining input from colleagues and writing up a report to come up with initiatives to help the civil service improve its um, diversity. But yeah, just to answer your question, I, I think, yeah, like as, as ethnic minorities, there are different challenges to um, getting up the career ladder. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, um, I would also reiterate that, like my path has been the most, it's, it's a bit like Taz is, but less smooth. It's just been really random. And I found myself in places that I never thought I would be. And I, I do think a lot of that has got to do with my ethnicity. My name is quite African. My surname is Screams Ghana. Um, so it's it's quite easy to other me at the internal or at the application stage. That's probably why I, at a young age, thought I first of all wanted to do a master's anyway. But I also thought it would be quite important for me to do so, and then have done subsequently a few other degrees because um, I do genuinely think and other people might not think this, but in my experience, I think that my ethnicity has affected my career path. I think I would probably be at a much more senior level if I was a white female or male. And I think that I probably would have a lot more money as well. But one thing I would say is that I don't think I would change anything because I think my experiences have enriched my outlook on work, my outlook on people. Um, I do wish it was a lot easier, but I do think that's just, you know, what I've had to deal with. And it's, it's not great, but it's, it's really helped me become the person I, have, I am. So, um, yes, that, that's a great question. Thank you. The one, one person, Lewis Williams, has asked, as someone who's graduated from an MSc in occupational psychology as an older graduate, I'm struggling to find jobs at an intermediate level to enter the sector. Do you have any advice? Yeah. <laughs> Who I'm going to ask this to Charlotte. Okay, um, got reminded myself what the question was now. I, I I think like I said at the end of my presentation, I think a lot of us have kind of gone into HR type roles, learning development, um, just kind of going down that route, and it might not be specifically in the areas that you want it to be, but I think all kind of. Um, you know all, all the training you can get all of the experience you can get is really good and it's really helpful and that can also lead you into doing different things um so i would say kind of see what kind of generic roles are out there um in an area that you are interested in so don't just apply for things just because i'd say look for something that you are genuinely interested in 
um, cast your net wider than just kind of specific roles and then kind of go in that direction if you're finding it hard to kind of get something more specific um, and I think that will open up a host of opportunities and and like I said that can lead you down various paths that you might not have thought of before but also it can give you lots of good experience for if you do have a kind of um, end game in mind it'll give you that experience for kind of later on definitely great great answer I think that's a really good level of advice. Yes. If you have had a previous career using that experience and then leveraging your masters that you've just completed, um, sounds like a great way to at least get the kind of work that you want without worrying too much about, you know, not having enough experience to get the job. Um, and again, there's a lot of transferable skills that you've probably learned from your working life that you can add to your psych, which makes you a bit more, attractive as a consultant so yeah definitely really good advice everybody got another question from samaya abbas um mainly to taz but i think i'll throw this out to to one other person what the main difference is between hr and oxide so i'll start answering that question and then taz maybe you can chip in afterwards so for me hr is obviously broad um but it's quite a what's the word it's quite an operational area. So you've got obviously you've got things like legislation that are going to inform what you're doing. You're there to kind of protect the employees or protect the employers. Um, and you've got a series of things that you need to do. So procedures. So it's quite procedural. And um, there's obviously lots of different areas. And I'm mainly talking about the HR advisor, HR business partner side. Um, where you look after a area of an organization or the whole organization depending on the size and then you're advising managers supervisors about how to hire people how to fire people performance reviews what the best process is to deal with people at that level as well whereas organizational psychology they tend to be not in-house like HR so they tend to nowadays you tend to have them as an external organization coming in giving you advice about mainly at the moment it's to do with selection and assessment so if you wanted to create a an assessment center for graduates for example you might consult an occupational psychology firm um, if you are looking into more well-being stuff again you probably consult an external organizational psychology or well-being firm as well to help you to do that if you're looking for coaches or career advice again you'd probably go towards organizational psychology too and there's also space for l d in organizational psychology so like training delivery and design if you want it to look a particular way or be a little bit more informed by psychology you could go externally if you have an external website i'm not sure if that answers your question but i'm going to sw swiftly move on because we've only got about 15 minutes left and more questions keep coming question for charlotte here how easy is it for your role to become freelance and contract based rather than permanent? Oh, massively. So, so like I said, I work in the kind of digital um, transformation lead space, particularly on the product that I work on at the moment, which is Oracle and Oracle is just massive. Mm. Um, it's a massive product and lots of organizations are implementing it lots of organizations are likely to be implementing it going forward because we know that we need systems that are robust that are going to be able to um you know support the new ways of working in terms of people now working from home and more remotely um 
so yeah so so massively so in my area so on the project i was previously working on um we had lots of freelance people you know contractors basically who would come in um, do the project um, and then kind of deliver that and and yeah and you know it's a very it's a very good area to kind of do freelance um, to work in that way and I can imagine lots of demand um, in the up-and-coming future so um, obviously you know I'm on my second um, phase of an oracle project so I wanted to make sure I had a second phase in got that under my belt and was really kind of very afraid with it and very comfortable with using Oracle. And for me, I'm sure that will be a sensible step in future as it's also a very lucrative um, path to go down. So, and the next question is actually related to that. Um, oh. What's the average you would charge for directing the change process? I'm not sure if you want to say it, but she's not cheap. She's not cheap. I'm not going to say the average I would charge, but so from my kind of knowledge of the market, um, and obviously I get contacted by um, agencies quite a bit. They kind of go on LinkedIn, see your CV, what you're doing and whatnot. And, you know, for a change manager role working at Oracle, you could probably command about 700 a day. If that would be for like, I don't know, maybe projects will last for different amounts of time if you had a nine-month project or a 12-month project that would be great you could probably charge a bit more um, or less depending but i think you know yeah it's pretty lucrative yeah so digital transformational leads guys if you ever if you want to make money you know where to go i'm joking okay and the next question is how do you deal with obstacles related to race in the workplace I think that everybody deals with things differently, but I think getting, having a support network of some sorts is really useful. So I know Taz has already put in the group, those of you that are either studying occupational psychology or are thinking about it and are doing undergrad or have graduated from occupational psychology and happen to be black, um, Caribbean, mixed, African, there is, I've started a black psychology black business psychology network it's a meetup group so if you search for black business psychology in meetup you'll find the group we tend to have meetups every month so obviously at the moment they're online and they tend to be in the first week of the month for a couple of hours in the evening and we've got a really great community so if anybody wants to join that just message me you've all got my email address so you can either email me privately or you can search for it on meetup and i'll do my best to actually add you but unfortunately because i've only got capacity for like Psych occupational psychology and black people um, that's what I'm offering but if you're interested in any other spaces there is like the BIP network and there's loads of other areas in psychology that or people in psychology that have kind of got their own other niche areas for black or minorities in psychology as well so I kind of don't I can direct you to that too great um, another really great question and this is probably going to be our penultimate question because that's for some reason we've got 34 questions but only seven minutes and I'm trying to go in order. Um, what advice would you give for undergraduates graduating now? And I think I'll give that one to Michael. Um, I would say for undergraduates graduating now, um, I mean, if, if, if your intention is to get a graduate job, for example, just um, work on your CV, try and stand out for the rest, because um, I can imagine it's very competitive now. It was 
quite competitive when I graduated, so it must be even more now. So try and stand out from other people, whether that's doing um, volunteering work or um, other external activities that you might do outside of your education, put down your CV, because that's the sort of things that employers would like to see. And um, just sell yourself as well, sell yourself on your CV. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I suppose that would be the main, the, 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 main, the main advice I would give to graduates graduating out if you are looking for a job. Um, if you are looking to do further study to enhance your career prospects in the future, then talk to people and do a lot of research around it to establish you know, why, what you want to do later down the line and why you want to um, study more. Excellent. I would agree with that, Michael. Just figure out what you want to do. Try and figure out what area you want to go in and experiment. And if anyone's doing a placement or has is lucky enough to do a degree with a placement, a couple of our speakers obviously had placement years and they're kind of dwindling now, but I know Brunel still does one. Um, I'm Bath, maybe. Just experiment and do a bit of um, healthcare assistant work or work in a mental health ward or try and get some experience in a HR department or an organisational psychology business as well as maybe if you're interested in forensic or education so just try and get in as much as possible by contacting people I use LinkedIn like ferociously LinkedIn is great for me personally if not literally Google Google occupational psychologist in London and literally go through at least the first five pages send speculative emails it seems really futile but somebody somewhere will reply to you it might not be very many people but someone will so just keep drilling into those people and make and go to events or attend sessions like this and you can make contacts that way as well so really good advice i think yeah i think for questions that's it so unless anyone's got one more they want to put in the chat i think we've covered most of them but I just wanted to say for everyone, thank you so much for attending. Like, I'm so happy that most, that a lot of people obviously joined and kind of remained joining at the end. So if anyone's got any more questions, if not, again, I'm so grateful that you came and I hope that you found it all useful. Your participation has been amazing um, and your questions have been really, really insightful. So just stay tuned on the Eventbrite page um, because I'm, hoping to do another one of these in August, but with different speakers from different careers. So yeah, just stay tuned and thank you everyone for coming. Okay, so if any of you want to need to leave for whatever reason, please do that and I'll speak to you soon. So take care everyone, thank you. And thank you to our speakers as well, I, sh- I forgot about them. Thank you for the back end support and all of our speakers because without you, I wouldn't have an event, it would just be me talking for two hours. And as much as I like my own voice, I'm sure most people wouldn't like my voice for two hours. So thank you all for coming and have a lovely evening.